Alrighty. Well, good morning. And uh, if you're with us for the first time this morning, this is um, sort of how we roll here uh, as a family. And now uh, we've been introducing this sort of this table in the middle for the last few weeks. And um, it's just an opportunity for uh, the same word to be expressed through different mouths. And um, this morning we have Danny and Rodney. So let's give it up for these guys. As, uh, They're bringing their aspect uh, in relation to question four. Um, and if you are with us for the first time, we've been working through this little booklet called The Transformational Gospel. Um, and as we just sung that song there, you know, like, I'm forever changed. Well, how are we changed? Um, and we're changed through the gospel. We're changed through the word of God, the Christ himself. And as we've been looking at, not just words on a page, not just our mental agreement or our mental understanding of what he has done, but the living reality of what he's done working in us. And that's how you know that you're a participant of the gospel. And that's one scripture we'll look at this morning that we partake of the very reality of what Jesus has done, not just say yes to what he's done, but be uh, outside of the reality as a spectator. We're to be a partaker. Um, And no better person to look at than Paul himself, who went from being an absolute man of flesh to an absolute man of the Spirit. And the gospel was how he went from being Saul to Paul. And yet, as we've looked at um, over the years, he was a man that was predestined. He was chosen to be Paul. He was always going to be Paul because God's hand was upon him before he ever started life as Saul. And that's the same reality for us. If we are in Christ, then we have realized that we've been predestined before we ever were born to find out who it really is to be in Christ and what does it mean to be not Greg Simnor that was born to Alan and Lillian Simnor in 1969, but who was born to the, my Heavenly Father in 1997. So for 22 and a half years, I've been figuring out what it really is to be a son of God, not a son of Alan and Lillian Simnor, and to live in accordance to being a son of God, which is an earthly father, not a, uh, sorry, a eternal father, not an earthly father. And the way to all that knowledge is this thing called the gospel which is the work of what Jesus did. And Paul said this work happened in him. And that's what we want to look at this morning. It didn't happen to him. As much as it did happen to him, it happened in him. So what does that really mean to have the gospel go to work in you? Because unless it's going to work in you, we are not becoming Christ-like. It's as simple as that. It's only when the word goes to work in us that we're becoming Christ-like and that we're able to live as Christ lived. Otherwise, it's just us trying to be Christ-like. It's us trying to apply his standards, his principles to our lives. And how many people know that's just a burden a bit too far? You know, you try, you try, you try, you try, you try, and maybe you manage to keep two out of the ten or whatever it is, you know, one out of the entirety. But at some point, you just get too tired. And you actually get tired of trying. That's uh, why I didn't actually want to be a Christian. <laughs> I didn't want to try and be a Christian. I wanted to just be me and live for me. But, you know, one day I ran into love and that was cool. Anyway, so um, I'm just going to read you this passage in Galatians 1, 15 to 16. And once again, the, the words we read, 
they're not theoretical words. They're not textbook words. They're a man's testimony. So they're the reality of the man's work that Jesus has done. So you can't mentally just try to understand these words. If you want this life, you've got to come into the testimony that this man had. And we all do. It says this, but when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb. So there's that predestined position. He was set apart before he even entered his mother's womb. And called me through his grace. Okay, once again, grace is power. So he was called out of Saul into Paul, correct? Was pleased. So when God was pleased to reveal his son in me, in me, so that I might preach him. So Paul preached the one he received. And when God was pleased, which shows you appointed times. So God, when God was pleased to reveal. So as we know, none of us chose God. God chose us. You may have think you've chosen God, but you didn't. God chose you before the foundations of the earth. And so when you're actually choosing him, you're already being chosen. So you're responding to something he has already done within you, which reinforces grace all over again that it's not about a work about us. It's all a work about him. And that work happens to be and needs to be within us. Um, and so I'm just going to ask these guys, I'm going to start with this question, which I think, no, I'm not going to start with that one. Um, could be one I haven't even sent them. <laughs> that would be consistent, wouldn't it, Danny? What is the difference, guys, between an inner work and an external work of God in a person's life? What's the difference between an inner work as opposed to an external work of God in a person's life. How are you feeling, Mel? Yeah, feeling good. Go. <laughs> All right. So um, the difference, uh, I believe, is that uh, there's work that he does in you and there's work that he does through you. Both works are the same. they both from the same place, um, but one is in and one is through so not outside of him but it's from him and it's from him out and uh, both works are they might be different in in function like internal and external um, but both are because of Christ and for the cause of Christ which is the kingdom yeah internal external any one of us want to throw an example so people have got a clear example of what an inner work is and what an external work is? I can give you an example of an external work that's happened to me. Is you know, I shared um, a couple of months ago about the pneumothorax that I had and how it spontaneously disappeared from one week to the next where it was getting worse and the doctors were all anticipating that they needed to um, perform this procedure had the elders come and pray and and it was shown that it was absolutely and completely healed and there was no sign of it. Now that was a that was a an external work that happened to me, which was incredible, you know, and it's God's power moving. But that affected my lung. It didn't actually affect my inner world, you know? And while I was 
thankful to God for what it, what it was that he had done. And I was, I was incredibly grateful. And it meant that I didn't have to go through an incredibly painful procedure. There was a, to me, there was a real difference between that God acting in my life and the work that was towards me versus a, an actual a, a divine work that happened in me where my inner world or my heart was changed, you know. And so... I'm incredibly thankful for God's external works, but I'm even more thankful for the inner work because even if the external work hadn't happened, it wouldn't actually take me away from the gratitude that I have towards him for actually the, the revolutionary work that he's done in me that's actually seen me through good times and bad times with a, a, a sense of settledness and peace and um, and. And so to, to me, that, that's the difference. Both are awesome, but one's something that happens to you. The other is something that happens in you. One is, is, is of value for the next however long I'm going to live, 60, 70, maybe 80 years if I'm lucky. Well, that would be pretty old. <laughs> but the other, the other lasts for eternity. You know, one, one, one is of temporal benefit, and it is benefit, and it actually demonstrates his power and his goodness towards us. The other is of eternal value, and that, to me, is, you know, both are valuable, but one is more valuable. Yeah. You know, so. And that's what we see in the Gospels, isn't it? Like, people got healed, or there were miracles performed outside of them, and they didn't follow or didn't do anything. It was just, thanks very much, thanks for my miracle, see you later. But people that were changed internally walk with them the entirety. We had an interesting chat at our discipleship group on Monday about the ten lepers, you know, and Jesus tell you know, um, you know, Jesus sees these ten people who are who are lepers that and he heals all ten of them and they all go away, but only one comes back, you know, to, to thank him and praise him for what he had done. And he says to the one that came back that that he had been made well, you know, and so all ten were healed, but only one was made well. All ten were healed physically, but only one had an, only one of them. Their inner world was altered from that encounter, that they were actually changed on the inside. And ten received something of absolute incredible value, physical healing, but actually only one received in them this divine eternal work that altered them on the inside. And so. To me, it shows such a, a clear distinction between a work done to you and the work that God wants to do in you, which is what the gospel is always supposed to be about. Awesome, Sam. What about a, someone else, an inner work? What's the inner work that he's done? So, hello. So I, I, I find, I've found that the inner work that I have seen has come out through demonstration. So... Um, this week, um, I've so I was able to in work time have a cup of coffee, have a coffee with a mate that I was able just to share where I've been, the journey that I've been on, where I'm going, um, what the last three months have been, and how. And then he was asking how I got there, and I talked about lordship and everything that had gone on the last couple of years and he was like he said he said I'm not just saying this he said there's this burning in my heart when you're speaking and I haven't um, there's I can see it's a tangible and real what's happening with you through the words that are spoken and it, 
It wasn't until I was having a romantic dinner by myself uh, um, that I could just recall and take the time back and go, and just go, that wasn't me, you know, that was just the power coming out of, of a reality that's in me that I can declare of what he's done in me and the God doing the rest. So it was really cool. It's awesome. And, and we're going to look at that next week. It's like... Paul preached him. He didn't preach words. He didn't preach scriptures. He preached him. So when he's been revealed in us, you speak him, and that that's the response of the other person. The other person's spirit. Sorry, I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, mate. You got your one bit out. You're right. You can just chill now. <laughs> and so we release him the bible says we release the aroma of him and when that hits someone else's spirit that person's spirit can burn and we see that in luke 24 and so that's what we're going to unpack next week um anyone else want to throw an internal reality in there um yeah i was thinking oh shoot that's a loud one (laughs) all right let's hold it there um yeah for me i i I feel the same, like, without going into instances, there's times where he might turn up, let's say, financially has been a big one for me, because that's one of the things that I've had to journey out, and, you know, he can supply a need in a moment, but not alleviate the heart position that's still living in lack, and, you know, I, I think, sort of as a general overview, just the works that he does, all of them can be external, unless it's this transformation that we're talking about where you receive a piece of him and you're changed on the inside and it it shifts you from having to to think about to maybe recite scriptures to convince yourself of something and all that you know that that's good but when you receive him you're forever changed to be like him you know and I just was looking at um Galatians um Galatians there, what Greg was reading before, and Paul is a guy who knew a whole bunch of stuff, he knew all these things that he had been taught, and then Christ turns up and this exchange takes place where he is now someone that he wasn't, he's actually a different person, and he says the statement separated me from my mother's womb. Where did he get that from? Like, where do you read that God separated him from his mother's room? He didn't learn that by something that he had read in the Old Testament or someone told him, which is why he didn't go and confer with other people because no one was able to teach him the things that God was teaching him. And even if people had had the information, he was living from a reality on the inside that had changed that and so you know in my own life I've I feel like I've been through multiple times of of feeling a lack oh there's not enough money there's a bill coming in there's a shortfall there's a there's a something and God's been my provider in those moments and he's proven himself to be faithful time and time again and then there comes a point where an exchange takes place and it's just not even on the table anymore it's just and the thing that I find amazing is that it 
affects things externally of you. And what I mean by that is that it's hard to explain, but it's, it's almost like you can try and fix these environments to be what you want them to be, all the while the lack is there, and the moment that this lack is gone, these environments are completely different. Now, I don't know whether they actually are different or I see them different, but they're just different. The things that I used to have to journey through in that regard, I don't journey through anymore because something's changed in here. And, and like, like I'm talking about, I can't even explain it. It's, it's kind of beyond my understanding. Um, and that, for me, is this internal exchange that takes place where we receive something of him and everything's different. How um, constant or continuous is this to be? This receiving this in. <laughs> to me, uh, it's it's to be like our food, right? You know, it's it's to be so continuous that it's our in our continual life source. You know, it's 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 the food we eat. It's to be the air that we breathe. It's to be the very fuel that runs our life. You know, and it says, man, you know. Um, you know, doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, to me, this this in a lot, if it's a, if it comes and goes, it's probably not the life that Paul's testifying to. If you're up one day and down the next day, um, what I'm not talking about is that you can't have emotions. But what I'm talking about is that there's a that there's a, a, a source that you've the source of life is him and not your emotions you know and so this this inner this inner world this inner life is to be the very uh bread that we eat and the and the breath that we breathe you know so it's like natural food isn't it and and god gives us these foreshadowing realities which are all the natural to point us to him the spiritual the eternal so there's this earthly reality and then we have eternal realities and they sit side by side so we're in an earthly suit. Jesus came down in an earthly suit, but the Spirit lived obviously within him. And so we have to come into the substance of the eternal, not keep hanging out in the earthly substance, which is the foreshadow. So just like we have natural food, how long can you survive without natural food and water? Not that long, can you, in this space? Until lunch. <laughs> So the natural is you would die, correct? That's the point I'm making. You would die. Well, if you're not partaking spiritually, you're dying spiritually. So so you're going to live naturally because you know how to access all the natural food there is on earth. And if you can't, you'll find it. You'll buy it. You'll do everything you need to get hold of natural food to keep the natural. And the natural screams, doesn't it? So when you get hungry, your natural flesh suit screams at you, feed me. Some people get a little bit angry when they don't get food in them, and you, know, you don't want to hang around those guys, so always have a chocolate bar on hand. But the spiritual man should scream like that too. So he says, all you who are hungry and thirsty come to me, and you'll never hunger and thirst again, but you'll always want more of me. So this gives you an indication of your spiritual hunger and thirst. Are you hungering? Have you come to the realization that you know you need spiritual food to survive and live the spiritual life? Because without it, you can't. 
So if you're not eating, you will not be able to demonstrate an eternal life because you need the eternal food to demonstrate the eternal life. It's not rocket science. It's very simple, isn't it? Just like you can't live a physical life if you don't have some physical food. Now, God gave food daily, didn't he? He gave an outpouring of abundance, correct? So what that says, there was always more than enough. So there were 12 basketfuls left over out of two fish and a few loaves of bread to make a point. Yeah, and and on that example with the, the, the loaves left over, what was interesting is the question that Jesus asked Philip when he saw the crowd, the 5,000, and he said, where shall we get food for them? And Philip, it's like he didn't even hear the question. He's like, well, to feed each of them, it's going to take like eight months worth of wages, worth, yeah, salary. And that's not the question Jesus asked. He said, where do we get the food from? And it's... And that's the thing, it's the gospel is Christ. So when we receive Christ, every time he puts a question out to us, it's almost like the answer that we give is, is the reality that we're either thinking from lack or we're going, Christ has it all. He, he is the source, he is the bread. Um, and once, once you've received him, that's what you feed off, that's what you breathe from it is him you know and when the questions ask where or what it always comes back to him um i once heard uh, a question was asked what is more important prayer or reading the word and the person said what's more important inhaling or exhaling and it's the same you know i think with christ it's breathe in and breathe out and feeding and it's it is just such a continuous, but it starts with a union life, you know, the, the receiving him, that, that mode of operation can no longer live any other way. It, it, it actually can't. It, it knows where its nourishment and feed comes from and breath comes from. Mm. And I think it's a good example, you know, because it can be so easy to think that as we're talking about, you know, receiving or eating the words, that your mind's... If, you don't if, if you haven't experienced the reality of receiving him in you, I feel like your mind will immediately jump to, okay, if I need to feed on the word daily, that means I need to carve out more time for Bible reading each day if I'm going to you know, be able to survive in the spiritual environment or whatever it is, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's, once again, coming back to actually, that's a natural application to what Jesus is, or, and, and Paul is, is speaking and testifying to, because there's nowhere in the Bible that the Bible describes the Word of God as the Bible. You know what I mean? The, it, the Scriptures always describe the Word of God as a person, you know? And so to receive the Word and to be nourished is, it says that... Um, don't work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to the to eternal life that the Son of Man will give you, you know? And so it's it's the continual receiving of him in you. It's it's not the continual uh, devotion to your quiet Bible reading time, as good as that is, and as good as that can help to facilitate actually partaking of him, the source is him, not your own devotion. Eh? Do you want to just um, explain that a bit more, though, so we don't create confusion around spending time in this? Because that 
could be, you could be misheard. Do you want to just unpack that a bit more? Um, yeah. So I feel like this is absolutely and vitally essential because our operating system and our mode of learning will determine whether we're actually receiving him or not, you know. And Paul describes these people that are continually learning but are never coming to a knowledge of the truth. To me, I'm like, whoa, that is, that is dangerous right there, that you can spend your whole life learning and even learning about the Scriptures but never actually coming to the knowledge of the truth because the truth was never the words on the page. The truth was always the person of Christ. And so what I'm describing is is saying that I am absolutely, totally for reading the Bible. You know, so if you've heard that, you've, you've misheard. But it needs to go beyond reading the words on the page because you can read the words on the page and not be changed, you know. In fact, there's lots of people who know the Scriptures really well but actually don't live the Scriptures, you know. And Paul, what he's, what he's testifying to is not he, – he describes his life and he says, man, I was the top of the top of the top. I was educated under Gamaliel. He, he says, man, you know, as to the law, I was found blameless. This is a guy who's learned and educated in the scriptures, and yet for so many years was, re, you know, was running the entirely wrong way because his learning system was still of man, you know. And he describes receiving Christ and the eternal work that took, took place in him. Go and have a read of Philippians 3 that I'm paraphrasing. That the absolute difference between one learning system and another, that receiving him, that receiving Christ in him changed his inner world in a way that learning about the scriptures could never. But once you've received him in you, you will absolutely read the scriptures and you'll be engaged in prayer. Actually, the, the receiving of him is the greatest motivator to actually get into the scriptures themselves and to actually partake and participate in those environments, you know. And so just the motivation comes from an entirely different place because all of a sudden the, the scriptures are then testifying to the life that you've received. And so when you read Paul... You, you, you read a man who's partaken of the same Christ that you have and it inspires and spurs you on because you now have fellowship with the Christ that he knows, you know? And so what I'm describing is not that this is wrong and this is right. It's actually that there's a number one and a number two. Receiving him is number one. Reading the physical words on a page is number two. But actually... The value that you now have for the scriptures is even greater from the from this new posture, you know, and so we need to be reordered, rewired, rerouted into his way of learning, you know. And Paul is Paul is always sharing in every letter his operating systems, isn't he? So even what we're looking at, Galatians one eleven to twelve, is the operating system. Man did not teach me, nor did I receive it. So. 1 to 16 is the entire gospel happening. So if you just spent hours and hours and hours in the presence of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 1, 11 to 16, you would get everything we're talking about because it's literally being written there. So that's the operating system. You can't teach you. Man can't teach you, meaning you can't teach you. And another man can't teach you what only the Holy Spirit can teach you. There's the operating system. Yeah, 
And so if you're trying to teach you through reading, you're never going to get anywhere. You will fill your head with information, and that information will hoodwink you, thinking you have something, but you can't live. So it's knowledge, but it's dead. But it actually has life to it. So it deceives you. You think you know something, but you can't live it. Okay? And so that's it right in front of you right there. That's what we're looking at. But even what I just said, you have to have eyes to see it. Otherwise, you miss it because you're trying to teach you it. But when the Holy Spirit shows you, you're like, oh, my goodness, how long has that been there? Quite a while now. Because <laughs> nothing's new in him. It's just new in us and waiting to be revealed because everything is concealed. But it needs to be revealed in you. And this is the kicker. Not in your mind. It has to be revealed in the place of understanding, which is your spirit. Then your spirit renews your mind. So then your mind lays hold of it. Um, I want to have. A, I want to read this passage in Philippians 1, 15 to 16. Um, and while we're all turning there, you know, we just mentioned John and, and the feeding of the two fish and the, and the loaves. Um, and too often, unfortunately, in the church, we've stopped there at the miracle. But that is not the point to John 6. As you continue to spend time, you see Jesus is using the miracles to lead to himself. Who is the bread of life? Right. So he says, eat the bread of life, correct? So the entire point of giving the bread is a direct reflection of himself, that you're actually to be eating me. He says, unless you eat and drink of me, you have no life where? In you. So we really need to know what it is to eat and drink of Christ, isn't it? Because he's telling us if we're not eating and drinking of him, you will have zero life in you. So then you have to then allow the power of those words, which are spirit and life, to shine on your reality and go, do I actually have any life in me? And that would be an eternal life, wasn't it? So then you would ask, what's an eternal life? And you would start unpacking the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of Christ, because Christ is eternal life. So what this does, it shines the light from love into your true position in Christ. And you'd really want to know that so you can either get in Christ more or actually get in Christ rather than just be maybe in yourself but with no life in you. And that's what Sam was saying before, is that's where we live on emotions which go up and down, up and down, because we're so um, susceptible to what's happening outside of us, as opposed to just going from glory to glory to glory, because that's what the Scripture says, doesn't it? Is that as we partake of Christ, eat and drink of his real food and his real drink, because it's his blood, his real drink, his body's real food, then we go on the inside. Like, can you give testimony to that? Because we're called to. So we're called to give testimony to what it is to go from glory to glory to glory because it's never-ending, isn't it? Because we're called to be ministers of this glory. We release God's glory into the earth. People think God's glory is just going to get into the earth by God waving a wand. No, you're my vessel to get my glory into this earth because it's to be in you, coming through you. So if it's not in you, how can it come through you? 
Well, it can if God chooses to move in one moment. But you're then waiting for that one moment over rather than becoming like him where the glory is just manifesting out of you to the measure the glory is within you. That's a whole different Christianity, isn't it? Now, this is just Christianity. So anything outside that's a counterfeit. <laughs> and, and, you know, Paul, he, you know, he says that the, the great mystery of the gospel is actually not what Christ has done for you or to you. It says, actually, the great mystery is Christ in you, you know. And I feel like for so many years, the gospel has been preached about the things that God has done for you and to you and even through you, you know. But actually, Paul says the mystery that's been hidden, that's now been revealed through the gospel, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, and that's it shouldn't be a different gospel, but it is a different gospel. I think probably to the to the half packaged, watered down version that that permeates through so much of modern day Christianity. You know, that 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 the focal point of the gospel is actually not even the things that God has done for you. It's actually what he wants to do in you, you know. And, and the true gospel shouldn't be a message of, of God loving you while you continue to remain the same. Actually, he's, he, he has loved you with a, a love that's heavenly and divine. But the great mystery is that that love that he has for you would actually be in you so that you can love him with a love that comes from heaven. That, that's divine, right? You know? And you know, I was reading the other day in Jeremiah, and he talks about, the, he compares the old covenant, and then he prophesies about the new covenant. You know, and he talks about the old covenant, and, and how the old covenant, in the old covenant, God was continually loving the Israelites. And he says, even as I was a husband to them, over and over and over again, he calls them his bride. And he says, I was a husband to you, and I continued to love you despite your adultery towards me going and living for idols time and time again. And then he prophesies about the new covenant. He says, actually, the old covenant's not going to be like the, the new covenant. He says, the old covenant was about God loving you while you were absolutely clueless and completely unable to live and fulfill your side of the covenant. And he says, actually, now I'm going to create a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. It's not going to be like that old one. I'm actually going to take my law and I'm going to write it on your hearts. And that where I was continually loving you, but you didn't have the capacity to love me and fulfill your side, I'm actually going to give you now the grace and power on the inside. And no one's going to need to teach you because actually I'm going, to, I'm going to place myself inside you and give you a brand new capacity on the inside so that you can love me. Isn't that crazy? You know? And so that, that to me, it is absolutely good news. So the, the, the old covenant, man, the message of the marriage covenant has always been there. But the divine mystery that's been hidden is actually now through the gospel you can receive in you Christ so that you can fulfill your side of the covenant and the love that he has for you wouldn't just be towards you and for you, it would be in you. Man, that, that is the good news, eh? That you can now live in a way that you could never have dreamed of before, not through reading the scriptures, but through divine life and power, the actual word of God being written on your heart, you know? So, mm. That's awesome, Sam. 
Um, I just wanted to share a little picture that I had during the week that I think ties into what it is that we're talking about. Um, so on um, Friday Friday afternoon, I had the privilege of going um, spearfishing with uh, Jeff, and um, so I'm, I'm just about to go. I'm getting my gear ready, and my five-year-old says, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going spearfishing. Oh, and I said, I'm going diving. And she goes, I can dive? Because she wants to come along like she's really keen. She says, I can dive? Now, diving to her and diving to me are two completely <laughs> different things. And what she's forgotten about is that actually she can't even put her head under the water at the moment because she's got something going on with her ears. So actually she can't even dive. She can't even put her head under according to what she thinks that she can do. And so there's a few things that need to take place there. She needs to either have something that blocks the water out of her ears to stop it from getting in or she needs to be healed. The second thing that needs to take place is that she needs to grow into a capacity that she doesn't have yet because even once she has the capacity to put her head under, she doesn't actually know what diving is, so she needs to grow into this. Now, my heart is that she would be all of those things and that she would come along and be able to partake of all of that, but at the moment she doesn't, but she completely believes that she can. And I can just see us being like that sometimes, you know, and I just, I, I, I heard this yesterday and I'll just, <laughs> I'll just share this with us because this is, that was the example that God showed me about this, this word that I heard where he said, I have many things to say, but you can't bear them right now. And this is what he spoke to his disciples that had been walking with him for three years in this secret place. They were in the upper room together, and he says, I've got many things to say to you, but you can't bear them. And these are people that had had a lot of things done externally, they had been full to the top of external things, yet had no capacity to receive what it was that he really had for them because they hadn't yet received him on the inside. And he spoke about the Holy Spirit and said, when the Spirit comes, he will be your teacher. He will lead you. He will guide you. And he will be in you so that you now have this capacity that you didn't have before. And as I was just... Chewing over this, you know, I just had this picture of God, his heart for what it is that is beyond what it is that we're currently in. And this isn't a word for all of you guys and not me. This is me as well. Like There is so much more beyond what all of us are in that he has for us to, to live and partake in. I mean, you think about some of the things that these guys were in and what it is that he has for us. So this is what I saw, the ability to engage in robust conversations, to be able to call things like they are, to be able to speak face-to-face, because we all have this idea of wanting to engage with God face-to-face. I want to meet with God face-to-face. He's like, you guys can't even talk to each other face-to-face, you know, and that's really true. And he's like, I've, I've got so many things to say, but what I'm building in you is the capacity that you would be able to even hear what I've got to say. Sometimes what I'm saying comes from someone else and you can't hear it because you have no capacity to hear what it is that I want to say. And what it is that he's calling us into, I mean, my question that I have for us, I I want to ask a question today. (laughs) You're all on the panel, we're the audience. Um, (laughs) what, What is it that we're being transformed into? 
Like, what is our picture of this transformation that the gospel of transformation is about? Does anyone have an answer for that? I'm, I'm sure there's some answers, and I know... Feel free to yell it out if you've got an answer. The bread of life. Holiness. Because what it is, like, this is, this is the hope in my heart, is that we would have... A, a sight of this, you know, because we just went, we just went through this, say eh, the the picture, the big picture, where God is showing us a picture of something that He's ha- has us living from and for, and we need to see this because, as we've all heard and hopefully read, the picture of our finish line determines how we're going to run. We need to be able to see this, and He wants to build a capacity in us so that we can not just see this but engage with us, live from this, you know, all these things. And the challenge with all this is someone can give you the answer, but you don't know it. And this is what Jesus said to the scribe. He said, you've answered intelligently when I asked you the question, what's the greatest commandment? Oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God. And he says, you've answered intelligently. You're not far from the reality of your answer, but you, ha- you actually don't know the life of your answer. You just know how to intelligently answer the question. And that's as far as we tend to go because that's earth. See, that's what earth does. I, I, one and one equals two, tick, got it right, move on. No, it's about the life of the answer. And so until we've entered into the life, the revelation, we actually know nothing. And that's where it becomes really offensive because... If you can't see it, you don't know it. Because if you can see it, you'll live for it. But it's a spiritual sight. So the answer to Chris's question is Christ-like. Romans 8, 28 to 31. We've been banging that drum for 11 years. Okay? It's, and that's what Sam's saying. You can read that all day long and have no idea what's there. Because it's concealed from you. But you know the answer, but you don't have the revelation of what's there because it's concealed. The entire thing is concealed, and it has to be revealed in you, not to you, not you trying to learn it all and study the Hebrew and the Greek and the text and this, and that's how you build a pharisaical culture. Okay, That is not earth. Sorry, eternal, that's all earth. Yeah? So the answer is written down. It is written. But it has to be revealed because it's a spoken, not a written word. So the written word is a spoken word that you must hear because you can't see God. And this is what makes it so beautiful and frustrating all at one because none of us can know God without God. So if you're trying, stop. Because you're just going to get frustrated and you will be deceived and disillusioned. And when the one who knows God turns up and speaks, you'll write them off. You're writing God off. And this is how you deny God and the power is coming from you. And you'll actually get offended by the person because they're coming from heaven. They're a sent one. they got a sent word and it's full of power to what? Pierce and transform you into Christ-likeness. And so you've just sabotaged your own transformation. But you don't know you've done that because you are thinking here and what's said doesn't fit your box in your head. It's never going to. 
And so this is our challenge because all the work has to happen in you. And Paul, Saul, is the example. Why is he the one that says, imitate me? Why did I write a book for us? Have you taken the time to eat it? It's there on the shelf. It's all within about walking distance. It's not too far that it's in heaven. Is there a book here? Is there a book here? Oh, yeah, that thing. See, this is what starts to happen. And look, we've all and are all going through this, the squeeze. It's a love squeeze. It really is, guys. It's love squeezing you. And it whispers, hey, do you know this? Because this is who you're called to be. But unless you love the squeeze and then embrace the squeeze, you're anti the squeeze. And you're running away from the squeeze, not recognizing it as love. You think it's the complete opposite, and it's love. I love what he said, Chris said. We want to see God face to face. We can't even meet one another face to face. You know, that's just puffed up hype. And so this is what happens. God puts us in a love squeeze. He says, man, the only way that I'm going to actually stop you from running around and doing your own thing is to do this. Hey. (laughs) And I'm going to hold you. And I've got more strength than you, so I'm going to hold you. And he'll fight and kick, won't he? Until I squeeze the life out of him and put love in him. Hey, this is the process. And we fight and we kick and we scream. And it's just the I in you that hasn't yet died. And he just wants to squeeze you till there's no air in you, you, and then he breathes. But it's in you. And then you live. Have a chat with LJ, man. And that's her husband saying that. God is doing a work in my sister, man. I'm so it's happened from becoming one. I said to her, I said, your whole countenance has changed. In three weeks. Have a chat to her. The song she sings, she just wrote a song. It's coming. Now, it's not about the song. It's about what he's doing in her. Have a chat with Brick over here. Put your hand up, Brick. We need to seek out people that are going through this and not be afraid of them. Like, go spend time. What is going on with you? Because it's not just for them. It's for us. And we can't be afraid of it. I think it was um, Sam that said this maybe last week where basically we've been, we've been speaking this for a little while that there's no loss in this. There's no loss in this. So when, when the squeeze turns up and you get found out, that, that's the point that you get found out. Not that you would quickly try to cover it up so that we can pretend to be something that we're not. God is in the business of shining light in dark places so that we can see things as they are. 
So would we want to live in a house that's always in the dark or would we want to have lights on? If the power goes out, you know. And if you know your house, you're all right. But if you're in a strange house and you don't know, you're going to be banging around, tripping over things. It's not going to be pretty. So when this light turns up, it's for the purpose of being able to see. And um, Khan and I had an experience recently where we were out in the bush overnight. And when the dark hits, the dark hits. There is no light other than what you bring. And it was all good, so we were prepared. But it just made me go, man, this light is a big deal. We have the sun and we take it for granted because we go into our houses and then we turn the lights on. But when you're out of the things that are your comforts, the, the, these comfortable places, you haven't got the luxury of doing that. And so all of a sudden, you realize what it is that you've really got and what it is that you don't have anymore, the sun. <laughs> you are know, in the dark. And so I just want to encourage us because I know that when this turns up, there's no loss in this. Either this light is turning up to expose something that you didn't realize was there, and he's showing it to us for the purpose of dealing with it, not to humiliate you, not to condemn you. He's not about that. He's in the business of setting us free. He says that he came to set captives free. He didn't just come to do it once. He's continually doing it. And this is why we're talking about this gospel is, is not a, a one-off. It's a continual thing where we are to be partaking of this life. If you pass the test, the squeeze turns up, and Christ comes out, then you know what you know. And both have happened. I've, I feel like I've had both in the last couple of weeks, where something turned up and I'm like, oh, that's me. You know, that's Chris turned up right there. I thought I was in something I'm not. And you know what? That's actually okay. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that for the purpose of dealing with it. Because in the process of it, what I'm actually seeing is something that I had never seen. He's not just, he's actually not just in the business of trying to fix me. He's not just trying to deal with this issue in my heart. He's bringing me into the fullness of his son. He's like, I want you to, to see like I see, to live like I live. And in another instance, a situation turned up. And as a result of the first one, I was able, I had seen something that I hadn't seen. An exchange had taken place and I was like, I actually don't even need to respond to this. Like I, like I would have always ex- responded to it. And I was like, who is this guy? You know what I mean? Because it's, it's not me. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the health of this, this life that is for us, that we don't need to be afraid of. And this is why him being revealed in us is so critical to this. Because when you know whose you are, it doesn't matter anymore. And then we can have these conversations where Greg and I can disagree on something and it doesn't matter because we're both coming into the fullness of all this is and I don't need to get offended because Greg doesn't see my point of view and, you know, whatever. i tell you what it is that I've seen lately that, I, that I've been most, I don't want to say impressed by, it's not the right word, that speaks the loudest. So I know that, that Greg pours out knowledge. You could hear it as knowledge. He's, he's speaking a lot. There's lots of things that are coming out. But I tell you, what I'm seeing in Greg, when situations turn up, when we engage, when just in the little things, I'm like, man, that is speaking louder than the words that he's saying. I'm seeing a testimony of a life that has life on the inside when no one's looking. And that, to me, is the real evidence because when something turns up, what have we actually got? So the, the transformation part is not that we would know some things, that, the, that we would become somebody. 
And what that looks like is in a small instance, when someone has something nasty to say, Christ turns up. Well, no one's there to see it. Christ still turned up because Christ isn't there to show off or doesn't need to be seen. This is the life on the inside. And, and the, the, the picture of this is Christ or Stephen who are ready to die and the real squeeze is turning up. Your boys have just split. Some guys are turned up. One of your guys has got a sword. Things are going to get hairy. And you have the capacity to love on every single person in there, even the guy that's throwing you to your death. And, and that's why you actually don't need to read the books. <laughs> Serious. Because we have living epistles among us. Yeah? yeah, it's yeah? yeah. So, so I'll put my hand up. I haven't read the book. All right? Not for any reason other than that probably because I'm apathetic in my time at times. But I have living epistles here in all of us. And, and the writing of the book is the external uh, manifestation of the internal knowledge you've, you've, you've spoken about. And, and we can hear that in people. We can hear the change. I've known Rodney for over two decades. I can see the change, you know. And, and I've been here a long time. And the lack you talked about in my early Christian walk was that. It's trying to prove my Christianity. Now the lack in me is when I sit amongst the brethren, there's this fear and trembling working out my salvation going, oh, man, that is so much more than I know. Yet I hold on to scriptures or the word where it says, you know, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit guaranteeing what is to come. Yeah? So that has many meanings. But for me, it's I'm guaranteed to receive all that I hear my brothers and sisters having already received and declaring of him in the fullness, you know. And um, some years ago, we had Steve McCracken here. It was the first time he was here. And he spoke prophetic words over a number of us, including myself. And Vera actually had a picture of me. And he says, oh, when he was praying for you, I saw the Father hold you in his arms like a baby, you know, just really caring for it. Just a lovely, beautiful, romantic picture. And it felt really good at the time. And it wasn't until some months or even a year later that the Lord kind of revealed to me, yeah, that's your age. You know, in the sense of the maturity in, in him, it's like, you're all good. <laughs> But, you know, it's time, it's time to grow. It's time to grow. Um, and picking up on what you started right at the beginning about through and in, you know, I'm really aware over the last five, ten years of there's been many things through me, but how much of it is in me? So when situations come up, does Christ come out? And I had a recent situation with, with a staff member, and I openly said to myself, I don't have enough love for this person to walk through the journey that Christ would probably walk through. And the reality is probably in the natural it was good to remove that person, but the reality is in me was I don't have enough love for this person. I can't be bothered, you know? But I don't feel guilty anymore. It's like, okay, I now, thanks, Lord. Yep, I have love for you and you and you because, you know, we're of the same kind and, and yeah, no problem. And I'll go the extra mile for you, but... Hold on, I'm supposed to love this person exactly the same, and I, I don't have as much love for that person as for you. So, whose love am I loving with? My love or his love? 
And you know, Danny, I think like the pic, you know, when he said to you, that's your age as a baby. And we were talking about the squeeze earlier. It's like, you don't, when he says you need to be born again and born of heaven, it's not an adult trying to go back. You know, can you imagine an adult trying to, <laughs> my goodness. I'm like, that just made me cross my legs like instantly. Um, kicking and screaming, you know, but a baby to be born again, it's the baby is, you know, it, it actually has to go through the birthing canal. It, it actually has to go through and it, the work has to happen, you know. But to to come out as a child, you know, that's why it says to inherit the kingdom, you have to be like a child. And so, but that has to happen. It's not adults trying to become children, you know, or it's it, there has to be a birthing reality through the squeeze of love where the baby comes and... <clears throat> And then the maturing, which is always progressive, not how we can kind of define it as processing. It's a progressive, maturing, increasing capacity um, and and being parented and nourished. And even thinking about the stage, you know, of growing up, for me, growing up in Christ, well, all my years with him is wonderful, but it's like when you know you're, when that birthing experience happens and you you're being raised by the best father, the most heavenly, good, divine being, who you also knows is who you also know is the creator, the sovereign king, and you're kind of like, that's that's my dad. Like that's that's who I'm under. That's who is raising me up, you know? It's like those are the best days and the days continue to get better and better. Glory to glory. But it there really is something about just a, a letting letting the Father, letting the Spirit reveal where we are, as we are, before Him, and just embracing and enjoying growing up and maturing, you know. But but we can't mature and grow if we haven't been born again. I think that's what I'm I'm trying to say. It's not um, trying to change. It's it literally is just a supernatural, natural increase of developing and maturing. Um. And I just, um, I don't mind. So it's a testimony. So we need two testimonies. Yeah, we need the testimony of what he's doing within us, and we need the testimony of what he's doing through us. And so the challenge is, and, and this is where if you speak to a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians have a testimony about what God is doing outside you know uh and he uses us so you know he used me to lay hands on someone and someone got healed awesome that's a testimony a witness of his works if you look at john there are four witnesses four testimonies of god okay but it's still external so you have a testimony of god's goodness providing a job for you uh, leading you into a marriage or whatever. There's testimonies. You have ongoing testimonies of God's goodness, but it's all outside of you. It's all right. What we're talking about, and I want to reiterate this, is a testimony in you. That you can give ongoing testimonies of the work of God doing in your spirit, your mind, and your emotions. That you can go, man, I used to struggle internally. That's gone. I used to live in fear. 
that's gone. I used to be insecure, that's gone. Because none of those things are associated with Christ, are they? Because the goal is to become Christ-like within you. So the more you're Christ-like within you through partaking of Christ, then it's this formation work. Galatians 4.19, Paul said, I'm in labor because you've all been, okay, let's go with this. You've all been born again. So because you've all been born again, I am in labor, the apostle, waiting for the formation of Christ to happen in you. So then the adult Christ in you grows up. So you become a mature Christ-like being, not a child. Now we have to come to God like a child. That's what I loved about um, what Chris just said with his little girl. She's coming with zeal. I can dive. Come on, let me at it. I can give this a go. So we don't want to kill that. But that zeal has to be shaped by what? Truth. Because the Israelites had zeal, but not in accordance to the knowledge of truth, which is still love because love's a person and truth is a person. So we're back to this Christ guy again. Okay? And so it's like you can have all the zeal and the passion for works, external works, but if you don't take that and have that for true transformation of becoming Christ-like, but you've got to come as a child. Well, I was 29 years old. I'm a male And I've got all this knowledge, not of God, of what I think life's about, and it puffed me up. So all that's got to come down, and all that's got to be washed away and out, because that's keeping me from actually Christ-likeness and growing up. And so then I have to enter this process, which is Philippians 1, 5 and 6. I need to become a participator, a participant, a partaker of the gospel, of the person. And unless I'm doing that, I'm going to stay exactly the same. And this is where, unfortunately, we've come up with this. I'm a mature Christian, and you go, why? Because I prayed a prayer 50 years ago. That is no relevance to maturity when you prayed a prayer. You may have, been, you may have not moved and even laid hands on people, cast out demons, and done works, and still be immature because that is not the sign of maturity in Christ. Scriptures clearly define that in Corinthians. You can do all that and have no idea about love and you're just a gong. So that's not maturity, is it? So maturity in Christ is based on your knowledge of God through the partaking of God, through the revelation of God, full stop. Outside of that, we're a very immature church. Now, if division and oneness, which is the evidence of maturity? Well, I think we have our question as to how mature the church is on this earth. Oneness, division, maturity, immaturity. What is the church known for? Division. So we can't be very mature, correct? Welcome to becoming one. God's giving us an opportunity to actually become mature. So what does a mature church look like compared to an immature one? Why don't you write that down and ask them to show you what a mature church looks like compared to an immature church. And then ask yourself, because we're to be part of the church. So then let that truth shine in your own mirror and go, ooh, or yeah, man, I'm on that journey.
Because that's what he's looking for, isn't he? Through partaking. And this is this perfecting work. Where does the perfect work happen? In you. So when he says, I'm going to perfect this work that I started, where is it happening? Within you. So if it's not happening, then there's not a lot of perfecting going on, correct? Which means you're staying exactly the same, aren't you? You're covered by love, but you can't live love. Love doesn't come out of you when you're squeezed. What comes out of you if love doesn't? You, lust. Lust is the opposite of love. And I don't mean sexual lust. I mean the desires of your heart, the eyes, and all those things are what you want comes out. That's why we get angry. That's why we get upset because we don't get what we want, correct? What's that about? That's an immature baby, isn't it? So we've got an opportunity. We, God is, I, I can't believe he even bothers with us. You know, it's like Sam was saying, man, if we're around in the Old Testament, we're in severe trouble. I'm so thankful I was born in this side of the covenant, <laughs> you know? And so we've got an opportunity. Let's not waste our opportunity. Let's not be asleep to a reality that's been written, but it's concealed that we can come into. But through this work, did you want to add, I'm going to shut up? Um, why are you laughing? <laughs> but I'm just going to invite LJ and the team back. And with that, I want us to just maybe even just stay where you are and just... Ask that question of yourself. Ask him right now. He's here. He's in you. What does a mature family look like? What does a mature disciple look like? What does an immature one? And then just allow love to position you into that picture and go, man, I either need to turn to you today or we're always turning to him and just, you know, repent. Or just continue to say, Lord, just renew my mind so I can live this out. Or celebrate where you're at today. Like, celebrate it. It's all a celebration. None of it's bad news. It's the good news, isn't it? So, Father, I just thank you that we get an opportunity to have you in us in a way that is truly eternal life. And I thank you, Father, that you are here. You're always waiting. That's why you sent the Holy Spirit to lead us and to write, engrave on our heart this commandment that is eternal life. That's what you say. Thank you, Lord, in John twelve fifty that the commandment is eternal life. And so we need to know the commandment, Father, because it's eternal life and your eternal life. So to love you is to be an eternal life, not earthly life. And so God, just reveal, show us, By your mercy, show us in view of your mercy today. Show us so we can lay our lives down as a spiritual act of worship here and just surrender our entire being if that's what we need to do today. If we've journeyed through that, Lord God, I just say we would ask for more. And we pray for one another being thankful for where we're at, celebrating where we're at in you. Thank you, Father.